Welcome to the First Impressions Podcast, the official podcast of the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams. Every month, Chris John Riley and myself, Martin McKay, share informal conversations with security professionals from around the globe. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers alone, and any sarcasm you hear is purely intentional. For more information on FIRST or this podcast, please check out FIRST.org. So this time we're lucky enough to be talking to Jen Ellis from Rapid7, VP of Community and Public Affairs, co-chair of the Ransomware Task Force, and uh, Lord of All She Surveys. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. Thanks, Chris. It's great. It's great to be here. It's good. It's been it's been too long. It's been at least a couple of years. So it's far too long. It's nice to meet up again, even though we're all stuck in our homes um, as conferences are not quite. It's getting old, uh, although rumor has it we're in for in for a bumpy ride of the winter. But it is getting old. This whole uh, re- remote and virtual thing. It'd be nice to be back. At, I mean, I actually did go to my first conference, my first in-person conference recently. Oh, did you get tested? We, do I need to move further I did, away? I did get tested, <laughs> um, not for my sanity, but for, but for the, the COVID. For the um, I perhaps should have focused on the former rather than the latter. Um, it was weird. It was sort of weird how not weird it was, but also it was weird that like a lot of people take it for granted mm. that somebody turning up and showing a thing that says they've had a lateral flow test and that it was negative is sufficient. Like there's there's no there's no evidence behind that whatsoever. So, oh, well, um, I mean, we're all we're all going on gut feeling at this point. I think, and I don't mean scientific evidence. The lateral flow test mean I work. I just mean that there's no evidence that the person actually took a lateral flow test just because they submitted results. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and expecting. Expecting people who have no idea what to check on that form to actually do some kind of validation. And, and it's like, this is a screenshot of someone else's test where you've edited the PDF. I mean, this, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of trust. So. A lot of trust, yes. yes. Where, what happened to trust but verify? Um, the verify bit is is pretty. It's not possible for people to verify, so right. therefore we have to trust. So. Right, you just you just whisper it. Yeah. So I mean, I've been seeing um, some more events pop up, which is which is good, but uh, I still think that uh, a vast majority of events are kind of getting pushed out towards later on this year or, or beginning of next year. I hope to ma- manage to get to a conference at some point. So. Yeah, it would be it would be nice to see you face to face. Yes, that would be I'll, a good thing. Maybe, uh, maybe one of the London conferences if we get over there, because you've you've recently yeah. moved back to London, right? I have, oh, the yes. UK, the UK. Um, and because I did it during a pandemic, it feels like I could be anywhere. But at some point, I'll get back to normal, and I'll feel like I actually live in the UK. Yeah, but when you start going outside, you'll realise that you're in the UK, and then you'll want to move back. I guess. <laughs> um, I there's not really a way of me responding to that that doesn't no. that doesn't land me in in shit one way or another. So I don't. You don't need to I'm respond. Just, yeah. Your your laugh <laughs> says everything there. So we, we we wanted to get you on the podcast. Martin, unfortunately, uh, due to family emergency, isn't able to to be with us today. So your best to Martin, and I hope everything's working out okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. um, but we, we want to talk about uh, ransomware. Which is it's a little niggly thing. Not many people are talking about it, you know. It's, oh, not many people have heard of it. No, it's a it's a new thing. It's it's the yes. new hotness, right? So, I mean, I mean, let's start out with, you know, for people who don't aren't unaware of ransomware. I'm not sure what you've been doing for a couple of years, but uh, <laughs> you know, if you if you're not aware of it, what is ransomware? 
Um, and this seems like it should be a super simple, super short answer. But the reality is, because we use language organically and it sort of evolves and we use it imperfectly, there's a more complicated answer here than there should be. So technically what ransomware is, is it is a, a form of malware that is designed to be used in a way that uh, enables you to hold something to ransom. Um, so that normally means things like encrypting people's systems and data such that they can't use them. But we have in time started to use that term more broadly to basically refer to any extortion-based attack. So as the attacks have evolved so that they don't necessarily use malware as a delivery method anymore, now we're still using the term ransomware to mean extortion-based attack. And normally when we say it, we mean extortion against a corporation or an, or an, an organization. But actually you can have extortion-based attacks against individuals. Um, so it is an, it's an imperfect word and we use it imperfectly. Hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting evolution because over the years, access to systems has been you know, sold on the dark web. You, know, you could buy logins to corporate machines and you could buy logins to corporate networks and, and not all of them had a value, right? I mean, you, you would right. say the access itself, but the data that was on that network for an attacker was not particularly yeah. interesting. And being able to turn that on its head and say, well, the access for me and the data yeah. for me is not something I can turn into money. This is not available for me, but it's valuable to you. And removing right. your access to it is going to make me money. So um, right. it's it's an interesting uh, twist on, on how things were 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I mean, it's sort of like a shift away from stealing cars and into carjacking, right? <laughs> like, mm. yeah. um, it's, uh, it's recognizing that stopping people from getting where they want to go or doing what they want to do has value um, as well. They'll, they'll pay money on that. What's interesting now is like we're now seeing extortion-based attackers combine the two. So now we see them have an initial attack, which is about disruption and holding you hostage. And then they have a follow-up attack where they're like, by the way, while we were there, we exfiltrated all of your data. And if you don't pay us more money, we're going to leak it or sell it or whatever. And so, yeah, we're seeing these like nasty double extortion attacks uh, appearing. Well, I can imagine. I mean, especially if, if a company has been through this, I mean, I'm guessing you, know, you have more experience in this field than, than I do, certainly. But Part of the part of the extortion, part of the ransom, is not necessarily the attacker telling you how to secure your system so they can't get back in again. Right? <laughs> um, that that would be too easy. So you're buying access to your data and paying money, which is something we'll, we'll probably cover in a, in a minute. But doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get it all back and then it's not just no. not going to be re-encrypted in five minutes' time. No, super common actually. I think the prevailing numbers vary and one thing that's really really important for people to understand about the ransomware conversation is that ransomware is horribly underreported so the data that we have around it is incomplete and so you know the the numbers that you see reported will vary because of the access that people have to different types of data but but the data is very incomplete so numbers sort of vary between i think i've seen sort of you know 65% up to as high as maybe 75, 78% of times that you pay a ransom and you get the decryption tools. But what's extremely common is that even if you get the decryption tools, that is just the beginning of your journey. Recovery actually ends up being a very expensive, a very long process over and above decrypting the data. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, you've had bad guys in your system. 
and they've done things. It will cause damage. It will deteriorate systems. It will deteriorate data. And you don't know whether they're still in your systems unless you do a lot of work to find out and to see what else they accessed. So it's really just part of the journey. When um, when the Irish Health Service got uh, compromised with the ransomware attack, they um, they got given the keys. And about two weeks after they got their keys back, they put out a statement saying that they reckoned it would cost a further $600 million to recover. And that's, you know, that's with decryption keys. Now, your average organization is probably not going to pay $600 million in recovery fees. But uh, nonetheless, the point remains, like, it's it's really just um, the beginning of the journey. And unfortunately, one of the things we do see is exactly as you said, is we see organizations get hit and they get hit very quickly again, either by the same entity or by another entity. It's like they, they tell their buddies, you know, hey, yeah. go check these guys out. It's like a bug bounty program, right? Like, you, you, it's like, <laughs> yes, I, I, found exactly. a, I found a bug. I'm going to report um, it. You should report it as well. You never know, right? So. <laughs> yeah. So it is It is tough. Uh, it's definitely it's, it's definitely a slippery path. And like, this is part of the problem with paying a ransom is you've demonstrated now to your attacker a willingness to pay so let's let's dive into that because I, I think this is going to be going to be a large part of this conversation <laughs> so, so um, there's there's a lot of of people who feel very strongly you should pay yes. you shouldn't pay you know obviously some companies as you say are not necessarily overly communicative about having right, sure. been through yeah. it or, or paid it and I'm guessing yeah. there's some aspect there of, of embarrassment as well um, yeah. and possibly even uh, you know, breach notifications, right? So depending on yep. the region you're in, if you have ransomware, is that a breach? I mean, I, I know how I feel yep. about it. It's obviously yep. a breach, but some yep. companies may say, well, yeah, but the, there's no proof the data left our networks. It was just encrypted on our network. So we, exactly don't, right. we don't have to report that there was a breach yep. if we just decrypt it and move on with the world, which, yep. you know. No, no, that nails it. I mean, in the US, there are 54 different state and territory breach notification laws. But I think, and I'm not going to tell you this is absolutely the case because there's 54 of them and I'm not a lawyer, but I think that they are mostly, if not all, predicated on um, exfiltration of data. And like, there's a threshold for what how much data gets exfiltrated before you have to think about whether or not you have to disclose. And so, you, you know, it may not trigger a notification event. Um, and there is no ransom notification uh, requirement, certainly in the US. I'm not aware of one anywhere else at the moment. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it, is, it is massively underreported. And as you say, like, it's embarrassing. And organizations do worry about it triggering a, a regulatory or liability element. And so they don't want to report if they don't have to. Um, and, you know, they're also worried about reputation impact and that kind of stuff i'm guessing um, copycats as well right effectively if, if you say yeah. we've been through this right, right, right. Yes. you know people yeah, are aware yeah, yeah. okay this may be a juicy target they may not have fixed all their stuff absolutely yet, so. and i think i mean that's the thing isn't it it's like it's complicated there's no one single reason uh there's no one single type of attacker there's no one single type of uh victim um everybody has different dynamics at play when they think about this stuff in terms of whether to pay or not you say you know there are strong points of view on this and i will say uh when i joined the task force I was emphatically in favor of a ban on payments. I, I felt very strongly about it that um, that funding payments, funding crime, was sort of uh, morally objectionable. And also, from a pragmatic point of view, if you take the extortion-based attacks are profit motivated, then the more profit we 
we provide, we, we pump into the market, the more people enter the market to try and grab that profit. And so we're just feeding this constant machine. And it is, I mean, make no mistake, like it is a market, there is an industry for ransomware. And, and it is booming. And, you know, when they see headlines of another ransom group getting uh, a payday of $11 million or $45 million, these are ones that we've seen reported this year, that's going to encourage more people to get involved. So, so when we started the task force, I was pretty emphatically in favor of a, a prohibition on payments, and then and then it changed, and I became the voice the voice against a prohibition. And the reason for that is, while I do still fundamentally believe that banning payments is the ultimate goal and and the right thing to get to, we're just not there today in any practical way. So today, if you ban payments, what's likely to happen? You know, the, the nice idea is that we'll ban payments and ransomware attackers will go, well, I was doing this for the money. So if there's no money to be made, I'm going to go and do something else. Maybe I'll get a normal job. Um, <laughs> but I don't know why my ransomware attacker sounds very sort of middle-class British in this equation. Well, uh, I mean, I mean, maybe <laughs> people from the Midlands. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Ransomware attackers can come from anywhere. Mm. The fact that they mostly come from Eastern Europe is not neither here nor there. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, that's it's not, not all the way true. They, Some of them come from. But yeah, so the reality is much more complicated. The reality is much more likely that we would say, we're banning payments, and they would go... We'll see about that. Um, and the reason yeah. for that is there's really no friction for them. You know, um, as I said, one, it's a thriving industry. So, like, you don't even have to have good technical capability. You can buy the stuff you need. There's ransomware as a service. You can pay someone else to do all the technical stuff. Or you can buy bits and pieces of it, buy the malware kits, that kind of thing, mm. uh, buy access tools. So there's, there's no technical requirement. But much, much more of a problem is that there are nations that create these safe havens where they either can't or won't prosecute. And they also won't enable us to prosecute. And so as a result, there's no friction, there's no consequences, no risk for the attackers. So in a situation where we ban payments, there's really no reason for them not to keep trying mm. and to basically test the resolve. And the way that they're going to do that is they're going to go, okay, you've banned payments. Let's see how you feel about that when we go after the things that are least able to resist paying. So there are, there are two groups that are at the top of the list that are least able to resist paying. One is critical infrastructure that has no tolerance for disruption because it's critical. And, you know, we saw this with the colonial pipeline attack, right? Like, we suddenly didn't have fuel available in the eastern and southern states of the US. And people freaked out about it. Mm. And we're bringing fuel in from other states. And it was, you know, the president of the United States was talking about ransomware on his press conferences. So critical infrastructure is one. And then the other is small businesses. Small businesses have very little resilience built in. They've got very little preparedness, which means they're very much less likely to be able to do recovery. So it could literally be an end of business event for them. And, you know, if you're talking about sort of a family business or something that's been handed down or that you've built your entire career, the idea of having your business go down the swanee because you you were hit with a ransomware attack is, is pretty devastating. And in that situation, you wonder, you know, if you made payments illegal, would people be forced to consider breaking the law to make a payment? Which um, you hope that they wouldn't, but I mean, desperation is a powerful thing. And then if you do do that, you've put yourself firmly in the pocket of your attacker because now you've proven to them a willingness to pay and you've broken the law. Mm. So, you know, it, it, becomes, it becomes a mess. And um, until we have a better plan of how to support both organizations at the lower end of the market 
and critical infrastructure entities. We just can't, we can't come out with a prohibition on payment, right? So what we have to do is focus in the short term on how do we get there? Mm. What are the steps that we have to take to make it practical and reasonable to think about a prohibition on payment? I mean, you, you, can't, you can't make buying yourself out of a ransomware attack easier to prosecute right, than, than the, the actual attack, attack right? I mean, that is it, exactly right. It, yeah, and and not is, only that, yeah. then you end up paying your, paying your attackers to, to decrypt things, and then they use that yeah. proof of payment to hold that over your head and say, now you owe us more money, otherwise we'll have yeah. you arrested. That, that's yeah. it's not it's a not. solution. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy idea. But yeah. I, mean, I can see why people would want to push for that. It's much like kidnapping. If, if kidnapping is profitable, people will kidnap people. If not, then they won't. Right. But in, in this case... I guess it's it's akin to kind of a home invasion. You know, you break into someone's house and they're there. You tie them up. You look around and you steal all their valuables. And then, as a bonus, you take them and you ransom them off for kidnapping. And and attackers will do the same for ransomware, right? They'll break into your network. They'll steal anything that they can make money out of. They'll steal all credit card details. They'll steal all the personal data that they can get their hands on. Anything that they could resell or reuse to gain access to other systems. And then as a bonus, it's like it's not going to cost me anything to just click a button and ransomware appears. And if you don't pay, not my problem. So right. it, it, that that's not a high barrier. Banning banning payments is is not necessarily going to going to stop a majority of those attackers and 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 attackers yeah. will use it to hide everything they've done on the system because yes yeah, so that's know, definitely a thing that we've seen yeah. is is people using ransomware to obfuscate hmm. other things you, that they're doing you can't do forensic analysis on a system that you can't get access to and if, and if, if your logs accurate. if your logs are encrypted an, yeah. an attacker might ask you for money and then you pay them and it's like but i I don't want you to have access to this i'm just going right. to steal your money and never give you the key because i don't want you to to, to be able to track right. this through so that's exactly right. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with everything you say. I think I think that part of the thinking about the payments piece, though, is, you know, do we expect that they'll all go straight? No, we don't. We know that cybercrime is not going to disappear by banning payments, right? Um, and, and actually, the task force came out with 48 recommendations, which is, you know, a lot of recommendations. Yeah. And the reason for that is, and, and this is such a cliche in security, but I guess cliche for a reason, there's no silver bullet, right? There's no simple solution. We always say the silver bullet thing. I think you're about to shoot me. I mean, no, no. I now. thought you were going to say secure by default. So, <laughs> but, uh, sure. I would not. I would say secure by design. Um, anyway, well done. Um, mm. but no, like, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no easy path. And and so when you come out with 48 recommendations, none of those are going to be like the one thing, right? they're all little tiny things that you do that taken together again taken together they're not going to stop ransomware what they're going to do is they're going to make it more expensive and more difficult and the idea is like today there's so little friction and there's so much money to be made that we're just seeing the market be flooded with attackers if we can make it so that it's more expensive and it's more difficult, then it becomes less appealing. And then what we're trying to do is become is, is basically take the odds down. We're, we're not going to get rid of it completely. We're trying to make it less common. And that's a really depressing message, right? Like we're not we're not gonna solve this problem to you, but we might make it slightly less awful. I know, I mean I mean it, that's been the message for a long time, even before before ransomware was was very prevalent, is like make it more expensive for attackers to the point where mm-hmm. It's it's more expensive for us to do this yeah. than we would. You're not going to see the benefit from it, right? If it's going to yeah. take me 90 days to get access to your systems and then get the ransomware and then maybe you'll pay, yep. that's 
and it, and if and yep. if that that might not be worth my while, right? But right. It, but it doesn't mean that they're going to go and get a paper round. It means they're going <laughs> to they're just going <laughs> to move on to the the next thing du jour, right? But I mean, <laughs> I mean inherently something yeah. that is as global an issue as this may help to reach out. And, and kind of bring together all of those disparate systems and providers and suppliers who always looked at security as the cherry on the top and and like, right. oh, well, if you want the secure version, you need to buy the pro, right? Which is the one where we enable two-factor auth and, and you know, yeah. and we, we patch that one, but we don't patch the basic model. Um, and you're like, well, okay, now, now governments are realizing this is a problem for everyone globally. Yeah. Are we starting to see regulation that says you can't sell that? pardon my French, piece of trash router that yeah. has a remote code execution where you don't bother patching it and you're never going to fix anything. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do think that things are changing. I think the context and the setting has changed. And I think that what happens, like change, I mean, it is evolution. It feels incremental. It is very incremental. And sometimes it feels really slow to people, and I get that, but it's never going to be revolution. But but what happens is um, there's there's sort of there's a sort of triumvirate involved right there's 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 the government and other decision makers and decision makers could mean large infrastructure owners as well as as well as governments and then there's end user organizations and then there's vendors right and and basically what we've seen happen over the last i'm going to say 10 years is we had a very uh, we had a generally fairly clueless end user group to begin mm-hmm. who didn't really know that. In fact, I'll actually go further back. It's not 10 years. Let's start with when Microsoft created the trusted computing division, right? When they had to, because they had to respond to customer demand. So we had gone from having a pretty a pretty uninformed, uninterested end user group. And then over time, they got pummeled enough. So maybe it's not just a tri- uh, triumvirate. Maybe also we should include attackers in this little model. So the attackers were active. They pummeled these organizations enough that the organizations turned around to Microsoft and said, hey, we need to do something different. So they went to their vendors and they demanded a change in behavior. And at that time, and over the next however many years, you saw the more enlightened or the more well-resourced vendors switch on to this and go, we got to do something. Mm. And so they started to change behavior. And as they did, more end users became more informed about the things that they could expect. So they started to demand a bit more. What happens is like those things nudge each other forward for a while, kind of like, you know, overlapping each other or taking or, or moving in front of each other until they hit a wall, right? They like sort of balance out or level out. And then the attacker behavior gets more aggressive because they figured out a way to to get around whatever's been done. They've always got the upper hand, right? You know, there's this adage of like they only have to be lucky once, a defender yeah, has to be the, lucky The cat every and mouse every thing, right? The cat's always right. gonna work, gonna win, right? Exactly Eventually. right. Um, and so that's when the government will come in or the large scale, you know, decision makers will come in and they'll say, hang on a second, and they'll 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 give an edict or they'll introduce a piece of of regulation or they'll ask a bunch of questions that makes people nervous Mm, and then you see the vendor community start moving again and start nudging in a certain direction which then stimulates the end user organizations to get to get again more proactive and to start asking for more and so like this is how we've we've achieved progress it is a game of basically like we're all shoving each other down a road slowly and painful. we're basically <laughs> like small children um and it is a slow painful progression but we are making progress but the reality is that although we are making progress we will not change the dynamic and who has the upper hand anytime soon 
Yeah, I mean, but I think I think the the sad the sad part of all of this is that that kind of of, of process drives RSA. It drives what's in the what's, <laughs> right. it drives, oh, it's a booming industry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, 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 it drives what's in the top right hand quadrant of, uh, of, <laughs> right. of of the future, right? right. But but uh, but having it as this separate entity where it's like security is 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 this bit to the left, but the product is the bit to the right. But if you want security, that's the separate bit. See, it's, now you're getting into security by default, and you don't want to talk I, about that. I didn't that. want to talk about security, but, but, but you know, no, but it shouldn't be security by default. It should be you know, security as a standalone product should not you know i'm, no, going, I'm going out I, on a limb I, here no, i'm saying no, I, no, it I agree should not exist i don't and i obviously i work for a, a security company but i agree with you we have to stop thinking of security as other hmm. it, it isn't you know one of the things that i think attackers do better than us um is they understand <laughs> this is about yeah oh, so many things so but they understand that this isn't about technology it's about behavior and, and money and yeah, and we're yeah. oh for, yeah. for sure but like money is a thing that drives behavior or behavior drives money money right like you know you can't actually separate those out super well uh, we we as technologists make everything about technology and, and about technology solutions but actually this is cybersecurity is all about behavior and and the solutions need to be about behavior and as long as we continue to make security other and separate then it it stops people from really taking responsibility and recognizing how their own behavior influences it and how their behavior is influenced by it and we have to stop doing that it, it you know I, I don't like the the by default piece but actually it does need to be intrinsic and and it isn't and um and and that is a shift that and as technologists that is a shift we can make in technology yes but we have to recognize this about behavior but also that shift in technology has to be has to be financially viable for the companies that are making those technology because because yeah. if, if if the money if you're gonna, I'm gonna go back to routers because it's the lowest common denominator of, of of terrible hardware and software combined that's on the internet. But it's it's if, if if I'm giving away a free router for someone who pays for a service, you're gonna get the cheapest thing I can find because I right. don't care about you. I don't. It's like right. this is not part of my service. This is just the free thing you get, and right. and the, that that breeds it's a, a means to an end. Exactly. It's like another white box that was developed minimum yeah. cost based on old technology and will never be patched. And yeah. and if that if that's the way it, it moves forward, then you're never going to get to a point where you can say, "But that box is trusted." I know that's. And this is and this is where you need government intervention because this is where governments have to step in and say that's not okay anymore, yeah. and and you can't do that. And so we've seen, you know, we've seen this push towards software bill of materials as an example. Um, we've seen pushes towards consumer IoT devices now not having universal default passwords and having guaranteed support for a set life cycle and and uh, and 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 basically having patching systems which is you know important so yeah so I, I think we are starting to to change all of that I think what's happened is um, governments have become a lot more switched on to this and have recognized the impact that it's having and how much it's costing the economy and I think that's a positive thing obviously with any policy there's a chance for it to all go haywire and we have to be careful with that um, but, I, but I think uh, a more informed um, legislature on this topic is, a, is, a, is probably a positive. So I'll throw you a, an easy, easy, uh, easy to hit ball to use some kind of <laughs> sports ball type methodology you know, type uh, scenario at the end because we're coming to the end. Um, what's the future hold for ransomware? That should be an easy one to, oh, to yeah, answer. Oh yeah, thanks, to. thanks very much. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, I've been asked a lot recently whether I think ransomware is on the decline, which I can't even say with a straight face. Wait, do I? I think I have a button here of someone laughing. Bear with me. No, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I can't tell if it's like just joyful optimists who keep asking me this. Um, what's the future for, uh, for ransomware? I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I, and I hate to be the, like, the, the voice of doom. There are a couple of things that have happened that I think are positive. So um, the G7 got together over the summer in 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 Fair Cornwall, and <laughs> they, in their communique afterwards, said, "Hey, we're going to do something about ransomware." And again, like you know, as I mentioned, President Biden has talked about ransomware at least six times this year, which is kind of nuts when you think about it. And then the G7 got together and they talked about ransomware, which is also kind of crazy. And then. Biden went and met with Putin and said, hey, so about those ransomware attacks. And and so I think, you know, what we're going to see, like when the when the G7 communique came out, it seemed like a big deal. It seemed like it had the potential to become a big deal mm. if there was follow through. But there was no indication of whether there would be follow through or not. And they have since come out with a statement and said, uh, we're going to hold a summit before the end of the year to figure out what our plan is on this. Which makes so sense. So that's a good thing. I right? mean, it makes sense. Understand the problem before you before right. before you say right. we're going to deal with it. We're going to make it right. illegal, and you're like, right. oh, okay, um, <laughs> wait, was this was already illegal? So right. Right. Uh, um, well, so here's the thing: is what they've said is they want to do something about the safe havens, but that's not an easy problem to solve, right? Oh, that's not easy. Um, you know, this is how do you solve a problem like that's, Maria? Um, that's global politics. Yeah, yeah, and and they don't have really good uh, things that they can they can do from a sort of diplomatic point of view on this. So uh, or things they haven't tried in the past, like sanctions are not working. So where do you go next, right? Um, Balkanization so, of the internet, where you just cut off sections of the world that you feel like you don't trust, which is an inherently <laughs> bad idea in a different way. Yeah. So so I take I take um, some level of optimism from the fact that there is this much government scrutiny and and that they plan on doing stuff on the other hand i'm very cautious on that because governments are busy they've got a lot going on there's a pandemic it turns out and and also you know there's things in afghanistan that are happening and like there's all sorts of things going on that governments are dealing with i hear climate so, change is a thing as well oh that's so, another yeah that's yes, another one but they're yeah. gonna put that off until oh yeah you know, we're the, ransomware is more important yeah. i mean right. to be honest to be honest <laughs> those cpu cycles that they use to encrypt things <laughs> might be causing some uh some I think this is reality. So. If they could crack down on ransomware, just think of the benefits to, to, to global warming. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, I am cautiously optimistic because they're interested, but I'm worried that they're not going to have the focus. But in the meantime, things will get worse. What will happen is I suspect they'll focus on other problems that are high priority, and then things will get a lot worse. And then they'll go, oh, wait, this is a priority, and we'll get back to it. And so I, I do, I think organizations are in for a bumpy road for a while yet. But I think in the long run, ransomware will decline, but it won't go away completely, mm-hmm. but there will be something else that replaces it. So there yeah. you go. That's my really wow, that's, uh, your, cheerful. That's your 2022 end prediction right here. Yeah. Um, I, oh, 2022 is optimistic, exactly. my friend. <laughs> okay. so, so 2024 predictions right here. It's, it's, it's going to be all downhill till then, but then, um, but then light at the end of the tunnel. But the light is also something terrible. So <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> just it smile light, and nod. Know, I, 
I, um, you know, people always use this line about how ransomware funds other kinds of organized crime and they come out with this like laundry list of organized, different types of organized crime. And by the way, like, I, I'm, I'm not sure this is true. It's not being verified. So like, don't buy into this too much. It feels like hyperbole at the moment until we know for a fact. But anyway, so because of this, I suddenly had this like crisis of, of conscience or confidence the other day where I was like, oh my God, if we crack down on ransomware, will they start doing worse things? <laughs> Oh I like really got this in my oh. head. I was like, this is terrible. And then somebody had to say to me, you know, Jen, uh, the, the person that hacks a box is not probably the same person who goes and, and hijacks people. So no, like, let's I mean, not worry about it. I, I mean, I mean I, I'm going I'm going to go out and let me say, the person who hacks and encrypts your, your network, they're not doing that instead of coming to your offices and doing something right. worse. Right? And right. It's, right. A, it's a right. safe I had to have that crime, moment right. of being like, stop, stop being a crazy person. Yeah. It's fine. Like, it's okay. They're just going to hack you in a different way. They're not going to suddenly exactly. start trafficking yeah. guns. <laughs> um, yeah. we, we hope. We hope. So We hope. Yeah. Um, it's been a great to talk. Sorry, we, we had limited time today, but we really hope no. to, to get you back on the podcast. Um, you know, Martin wants to, to chat. Um, and I, I know you've got a number of interesting things things in the pipeline that we can maybe talk about later on this yeah, year definitely. so um you know laws in the uk you know computer abuse laws um <laughs> well we'll have to see where that goes but yes when there's when there are updates i'll be happy to come on and chat about them sounds great and, and if people want to find out more about what you do you have uh, a blog over at rapid seven um uh yes i contribute to the rapid seven blog um and uh, a couple of other things i would say so the ransomware task force report you can get from uh www.securityandtechnology.org and then the other thing that i'll just give a really quick plug for because not enough people know about it and it's amazing and i believe that first supports it um is the no more ransom project mm -hmm. uh no more ransom project is a um a completely free project that is backed by europol and 170 uh partners that include law enforcement around the world and what they do is they provide free decryption tools. They have 121 decryption tools for 151 different ransomware families. They also provide um, advice on how to protect yourself. So if you are at all worried about ransomware or if you're hit by ransomware, nomoreransom.org is your first place to go and they will help you. Yeah, probably use a different computer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ab absolutely. Um, oh, and that's the other thing is when you build your your response plan, which you should have or you should be building right now, make sure that all your core stakeholders for the response team have an offline copy available. Yes. Yes. Those those <laughs> folders that you have on the shelves. This <laughs> yeah. is why you print things. Not helpful. So. Yeah. That's my that's my favorite tip that I've been told. That I was like, oh, of course. Why didn't <laughs> I think of that? <laughs> Also, uh, you have a podcast as well. Um, we, we like podcasters. So, so Jen, do, do, do a quick plug for your podcast. Yeah, so thank you. That's lovely of you. Really appreciate it. Um, this will uh, at least quadruple the size of the, of the listenership. <laughs> um, so the podcast is called Security Nation, um, and it's a very simple format. We, uh, we basically just talk to people who are advancing security in some way. Um, and so we just talk to a lot of really cool people doing things in the community. And I love it because I get to learn from all of them, which is pretty awesome. Wonderful, wonderful. I think uh, <laughs> I think the more we can communicate and share information, the better. So more more resources out there. Um, feel free uh, to. Yeah, appreciate it. And that was the Security Nation podcast. I, I would get told off by Todd, Security my co-host, if I didn't say it one more time. Great, <laughs> great. Thank you very much, Jen. It's been great to catch up, um, and I yeah, hope uh, hope we'll meet uh, meet up at a conference soon. If not, then uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the podcast again, hopefully later on this year or next year. Yeah, I definitely hope so. Thanks so much, Chris. It was great chatting. Thanks. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the First Impressions podcast, and thanks to this week's guest. You can find Chris John Riley on Twitter at Chris John Riley, all one word. You can find me, Martin McKay, on Twitter at MCKEAY. And you can find the first organization at first.org, F I R S T D O T O R G. You can also find more information about First and the First Impressions podcast at first.org. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.